starting in verse 38, chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So earlier in um, chapter 10, Luke recorded the 72 disciples being sent out, and um, Jesus had sent them out into towns ahead of him, kind of to prepare the way for him to establish relationships based on Christ's peace. He said, you will carry peace with you, and you'll go into these houses, and if they're a son or a daughter of peace, then uh, peace will rest upon that house. You'll have a good relationship. You can stay with them and eat with them and fellowship with them. And then uh, the assumption was that when Jesus came into town, there would be relationships that uh, he could uh, build upon there, uh, relationships built on Christ's peace. And it's not mentioned by name, but Bethany, where they go, as it says, they went on their way. Um, he and the disciples uh, came into a place, a town. It's not mentioned by name, but it's Bethany, right? Um, and it may be that, uh, again, this was arranged in advance by the disciples. Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, who we know from other places in the Gospels, um, they ended up to be good friends of Jesus. But it may be that this was their first meeting, that some disciples, again, had established a relationship with them so that they were receptive to Jesus already when he came to their village. Right? And so it says that Martha welcomed him into her house. So she gives him a positive reception and she demonstrates hospitality. Right? Uh, hospitality is a very good thing. Uh, it's something that Christians do, something that Christians should do that historically has been pretty revolutionary in the, in the life of the whole world, uh, the hospitality of Christians, welcoming people, welcoming even strangers into our homes as guests. And uh, almost like a side note, um, if you want a really excellent book that looks at hospitality through the scriptures and through church history and uh, looks at hospitality, Christian hospitality is a beautiful thing that is necessary for Christians. There's a book by Christine Pohl, P-O-H-L, called Making Room. It's a great book. Um, but this isn't about hospitality. This is not a passage about that. We could talk all day about uh, the, the beautiful and amazing value of Christian hospitality, but that's not what this is about. Martha, verse 39, she had a sister called Mary, so probably a younger sister. You can tell kind of from the family dynamics here. <laughs> um, sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Mary has a deeper kind of receptivity to the Lord. Martha welcomes him into the house, but Mary is receptive to his person. She's attentive to him. She defers to him. She's fascinated by him. She just wants to hear what he has to say. And, uh, and Jesus encouraged women to do this, to study and be his disciples, which was uh, remarkable, right? It was unique in uh, that culture. It was something actually discouraged by most Jewish teachers 
uh, you don't have women disciples, right? They're not good enough. Um, but Jesus encouraged that, and Mary is utterly absorbed with Jesus. He is the center of her world. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So here's the Son of God coming to the world in the flesh, coming to her home through the front door. The Son of God, and she's distracted with much serving. This is, uh, before you just kind of condemn her, this is probably not too foreign a concept for most of us. Uh, it's not too difficult for us to imagine. Imagine someone incredibly important, incredibly important coming into your house, right? Planning to come to your house for dinner. Your first thoughts are probably going to run to cooking and cleaning, right? You're like, clean the bathroom, vacuum, feed the kids, get them out of the way, clean the table, vacuum again, <laughs> right? Um, Get the dishes out of sight. Make, make sure there's some pretty amazing food and drink ready. And, oh, man, the kids just made another mess. you got to take care of that, right? That's hospitality, isn't it? No, that's not hospitality. Um, that's getting ready to put on a show. And that's, that's worse than unnecessary. It's, uh, it's actually bad. <laughs> um, we get all caught up and frazzled in the tasks and the duties and the expectations that we're distracted from the feature presentation, which should be the enjoyment of company and the opening up of ourselves uh, to others, right? the welcoming, the receptivity that should be there, opening up of our lives to others. But Martha um, can relate. You know, she's, she's probably the firstborn She's probably the dutiful child. She's the one who constantly lives with the pressures of performance and expectations, right? And, um, and she's probably inflicted these pressures on herself. She's chosen this for herself. Right? That's the implication of this passage is that Mary's chosen the one thing. You've chosen the other. Right? You're distracted which must, with much serving. She's chosen that. And on this, which should be, which would be, the most important occasion in the life of anyone. She's totally freaking out. <laughs> right? um, and you can tell that she's not at peace about any of this. That she's serving from bad motives. Right? Because of how she loses it with Jesus. <laughs> loses it with her sister. She went up to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Who talks to their Lord that way? Does it seem like she's serving from a place of joy or a place of stress? Was she happy to enable her sister Mary to connect with Jesus? No, she's frustrated, she's complaining, she's jealous maybe, she's angry, she's upset. Um, it may be that she wanted to listen to Jesus, but she was too busy with serving. She's distracted herself. Um, this is what she has chosen to do. She has put service of Jesus in front of relationship with Jesus. She puts service in front of relationship. 
And that's where she went wrong. And her question is kind of a flabbergasted accusation against uh, her sister and even against Jesus. You know, aren't you supposed to care, Lord, that we serve you? Act like a Lord. Issue some commands. Make service happen. That's why we're here, right? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha, this is, this is affectionate. This is not harsh scolding. Maybe gentle scolding, right? But you can sense the affection here in the way that he addresses her. He loves Martha. He has patience with Martha. With Martha. He's, he's teaching her, right? Um, even though she's wrongheaded, even though she's got bad motives, even though she's jealous of her sister, maybe, or she's complaining about Jesus, she's sinning in this, right? Even though she's doing that, Jesus loves her, and he tells her what's really going on, because she probably is unwilling to acknowledge and, and look at herself and see what's really going on. He tells her what's really going on, and his description is kind of colorfully hectic. He says, you're, you're putting yourself <clears throat> in an uproar. It's kind of how that language is. You've got too much going on in your life right now. Um, one thing is necessary. Verse 42. So here comes the answer to our big question about the purpose of life, the, the meaning of life, the ordering principle in the center. What is our life about? Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. It says, she has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So that word portion probably is confusing. Uh, English language would maybe use it in various ways. You might be tempted to think of it in terms of um, like food. You know, it's kind of a picture of hospitality and food and dishes and whatnot. It's not talking about food. It's actually a word uh, in Greek that is um, talking about inheritance. It's talking about the divisions of property that will go to um, the children as they inherit something from their parents, right? So it's, it's district language. It's inheritance language. And uh, you see it a couple places in uh, the New Testament. You see it in Colossians 1, where God has granted us a share in the inheritance. That's that word, uh, portion. So <clears throat> last week in the passage just before this, we heard the lawyer coming up to Jesus. We get the parable of the Good Samaritan out of that interaction. And the lawyer asked uh, the wrong question. What do I do? What must I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? It's a question that doesn't make any sense because normally you don't do anything to gain an inheritance. Right? That's not dependent on your works. Um, an inheritance is more like a gift right? that you just get because of the relationship that you have. Because you're a son or a daughter or a really lucky nephew or niece. Right? Um, a relative of some sort. It's it's because of the relationship that you have that you receive an inheritance. It's not because of anything you do. Right? So the lawyer's question was wrong, but, but here's a perfect picture of what it looks like to inherit eternal life. This is the inheritance. Right? Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, receptive, delighted, amazed, absorbed in Jesus. That's the inheritance. She's staring at her inheritance. She's listening to her inheritance. Her inheritance 
is the living God. It's not something that he gives you, your inheritance. He gives you himself. The living God has freely given himself to Mary here as a gift of his grace in the person of Jesus Christ. God has come as the gift, as the inheritance. She's a daughter of God by faith. She is in Christ by faith. She is in the Son of God by faith, in the heir, in the one who receives the inheritance from the Father, right? In the Trinity, there's a Father and there's a Son. Which one receives an inheritance? It's the Son. Being in Him by faith means that everything the Father has, which belongs to the Son as His inheritance, also belongs to her because she's a daughter of God by faith. Everything the Father has belongs to the Son. Everything He has means He Himself. The Father Himself is gifted to the Son forever, and anyone who is in the Son by faith has this same inheritance. Um, God has truly and freely given himself to you. Nothing can ever change that, ever. Nothing can take that away because it's a gift of God's grace. You don't do anything to inherit that. It is freely given because of who God is and because of what he's done through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, As Joe Edwards read in our uh, Old Testament reading from Psalm 16, which is an amazing, glorious psalm, it says, starting in verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion. It's like my choice portion. If you're getting divided the uh, inheritance of the property among you and several siblings, right, the choice portion is the best of it. It's the most fertile land. It's the best division, right? Uh, And the Lord is my chosen portion. In my cup you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me, like Mary has. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this is a this is a recurring theme in the scriptures, right? Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God has given himself to you as a gift of his grace. The Father sent the Son into the world to take on your sinful humanity in order to restore it and give it back to you whole and righteous. He died to remove the obstacle of your sin, the real obstacle, the real guilt that you and I have because of our sins, uh, the real obstacle between us and God as a relationship. He's removed that so that you could be truly welcomed by God forever and only as sons and daughters of him. And now his life is yours and his joy is yours. His spirit is yours. His love is yours. His righteousness and peace and victory over death and hell is yours. All of it is yours. Everything he has is yours because he is yours. God has given himself to you in grace 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Could you ever deserve that? Could you ever deserve that? No way. Can you even wrap your mind around that? Even in this life, you will barely scratch the surface of that. Does it capture your attention? For the rest of eternity, it will. Does this capture your attention when you start to understand what it means that Jesus Christ is the good portion, that he is your inheritance, that God himself is your inheritance in Jesus Christ, you start to understand that you'll know that he's your purpose, that he's the meaning of your life. He's the answer to the question, what is your life about? What is anybody's life about? What is this whole world about? And he will become increasingly then the functional center of your life. You'll actually start building your life on him. You'll look for ways to sit at his feet like Mary. That's kind of number one. That's the one thing that's necessary. The relationship. God, yours. And you belong to him. And Mary demonstrates what that looks like. Somebody who's just absorbed and wants to hear what he has to say. You'll come to church because that's where we do that together. Listening to his word. Like David, you'll feel dried up when you don't. Uh, It says in Psalm 42, a familiar psalm probably, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Right? I am desperately thirsty for God's presence. I want to hear from God, from the living God. When will I appear before him? I used to do that when I used to go to church. David can't at this point in his life. That's why he's remembering it. When you uh, acknowledge and understand even just a little bit that Jesus Christ is the good portion, that God himself is your inheritance given to you freely through him, you will drop superfluous, distracting stuff like this bothering Martha here. You'll drop it from your schedule. If it's really superfluous, if you've really just chosen it as a distraction for yourself, you'll drop it from your schedule to make time for things like your relationship with him. (laughs) Reading and prayer and just meditation, reading the Bible, reading other good books that people have written about Jesus, about God. Prayer is an important application of this, and immediately after this, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. You'll start to practice the presence of God going about your day in prayer as you're working or taking care of the kids because uh, you can't drop everything out of your schedule, right? You've got a life to live. It needs to be organized and saturated with Jesus, right? You'll do Christian things like hospitality, like Martha's doing. You'll do service and ministry and evangelism, but they'll be like points on a wheel with Jesus Christ as the hub at the center. And they'll all work the way that they're supposed to work, at least increasingly. 
with Jesus Christ at the center. You'll delight in Christ so much that you'll work to help others to delight in him. You'll actually do some work. You'll actually maybe be like Martha was supposed to be here and, uh, and working to serve so that Mary could listen. You'll talk about Jesus with your kids. You'll talk about Jesus with your friends. When he's your good portion, the only thing you have in heaven, the only thing you care about on earth, you'll just be caught up with him, fascinated with him. Your priorities will all come into alignment with him, your relationship with him coming first. Do you have that relationship? Do you have a relationship with him, with Jesus? On his terms, how he describes it. Is your Christian life a relationship? Or have you fooled yourself into thinking it's one when really it's doing good things, doing Christian things? To serve him. Have you put service before relationship? There's no condemnation for you. There's no condemnation for you. Jesus has sympathy for you in your weakness, even your sinful weakness. Martha, Martha. You're his dear child. You're his dear friend. Maybe you just don't get it yet. Maybe you're almost there. Right? Serving him is not as important as the way that he has served you. Right? What he's doing even now to serve you, what he will always do to serve you because he's given himself to you. He is the ultimate servant in giving himself to you in love. He is the good portion. He's the good choice. He's the good choice. Right? To listen to him, to meditate on him, to pray to him and through him, to spend time with him and just think about him. Karl Barth says, to know him is to know all. The Christian creed speaks of God as the ground and goal of all that exists. The ground and goal of the entire cosmos means Jesus Christ. The purpose of your existence, the meaning of the existence of all things, the knowledge of God himself given to you is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He's the embodiment, the radiance of the glory of the God who loves you. Doesn't that thrill you? Doesn't that make you want to know him more? Won't you then prioritize your life around growing that relationship? Amen. Let's pray. Father, if these things have been um, falling on our dead ears, it is not your fault. It's not the fault of your word. It's, uh, it's the fault of our dead hearts. We pray that you would cut away the dead flesh of our hearts and make us receptive to Jesus, truly receptive, so that we would know, so that this would not be cliche, this would not be trite, this would not be so basic that we assume it and that we don't even hear it anymore, that our relationship with you through Jesus Christ is the center of our lives. Lord, make that real for us. Would you become the functional center of our lives, of all of our relationships in this world, of everything that we do, everything that we do to glorify you and serve you? Would you knit it all together around Jesus Christ, around his person, around his work, around our just being in his presence, 
studying him, meditating on him. Would you make this happen in our hearts? Because uh, surely we are not prone to make this happen for ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. We can't reorganize everything in our lives. We can't change our own hearts and our own minds. We need you to do it. And so it is our uh, true prayer, and we believe that Christ prays this prayer for us. And so we pray it in his name. Amen.